Well, there was a man named George Mueller, and he was one of the, probably the most famous, uh, well-known Christian men in the last 200 years. He's often considered the most significant man of prayer in all of Christian history. He was born in Germany, but he spent most of his life in England, where he uh, had an orphanage for street children, and he would also preach the word of God to people there. Now, he is a well-known man of prayer because of the extraordinary answers to prayer that God gave him while he was working in England. And I want to share a couple of these stories because they're actually really, really cool. So one of the most well-known stories, and this is a true story, by the way, has to do with a problem his orphanage had one morning at breakfast time. One of the helpers at the orphanage came to George Mueller in tears and told him that the orphanage had run out of food, and there were 300 hungry orphans waiting for breakfast that morning. So what does George Mueller do? Well, he takes three, all 300 of these orphan children, brings them to the dining room, and has them, has them sit down at the empty tables. What does he do next? Well, he prays this. He says, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are giving us to eat. That's interesting, right? There's no food on the table, but he's praying and thanking God for the food that they're going to eat. What happens next is remarkable. Because a few moments later, there was a knock at the door. It was the local baker. The local baker tells George Mueller, Look, ever since last night, I, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about the orphans in your home and... I couldn't go to sleep until I had made enough bread for you this morning. And so, not only did they have bread for breakfast, but they had fresh bread. That's not all, though. A moment later, another knock came at the door. This is no exaggeration, guys. It was the local milkman. His, his milk cart had broken down outside of the orphanage, and he only had two options. Either he could throw away all the milk, because it was going to spoil anyways if he tried to take it to where he was going, or... He could give it to the orphans to have for breakfast. And so he decides to offer all this milk to the children there. And so they had a full breakfast. God answered George Mueller's prayer. One more story for you guys. You see, and this is probably the most significant one of them all. There were five people in George Mueller's life that were very dear to him. And in the year 1844, he began to pray for them every single day without fail. Over a year later, the first one of them became a Christian. See, none of them were Christians, and George Mueller was very burdened for their souls. He wanted to see them saved and forgiven of their sins. And it wasn't until one year later that that first one was saved. So he kept praying. Five years later, the second one became a Christian. He kept praying. Every single day, without fail. Six years later, the third one became a Christian. And so he kept praying. 36 years later, the last two were still not Christians. And eventually, Mueller passed away. But it's recorded that 52 years after he first began praying for them in 1844, those last two people finally became Christians. They finally turned from their sin and trusted in Christ to forgive them of their sins. Now, 52 years... How many of you guys have been alive for that long? Okay, found the liar in the room. <laughs> Anyways, none of us have been alive that long, right? 52 years is a long time. That's probably almost four times how long you've actually been alive. That's a long time to be praying for something, right? 
So the question is, what was it that caused George Mueller to keep praying even when everything around him seemed hopeless? I mean, can you imagine waiting six years, praying every single day, and this person still does not want to give their life to Christ? Imagine how that saddened him, but he didn't stop. 52 years, he prayed for these people. Now, the reason why he was able to do this was because he had an unchanging hope. How do we know that? Well, everything around him told him it's hopeless. You should stop praying, but he didn't, which means that he had hope from somewhere else. He had some kind of hope that was fueling his prayers even so. And if you're like me, sometimes you struggle to find a reason to pray at all. Sometimes we don't even see why we should pray or the value of pray, prayer at all. Sometimes we, we think that prayer is actually kind of foolish. Well, if that's how you think, you need to tune into this sermon because we're going to discover how to be persistent in prayer by having an unchanging hope in the character of God. That's how George Mueller was able to pray for so many years because his hope was not in the things around him or himself. It was in the unchanging character of God. So we're going to discover that in our passage today in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Let's look there now. Everyone turn to Luke 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 together. And as you guys know, if you've been with us, uh, we are going through a series on the parables. And in the book of Luke, there are so many parables. In fact, our passage is found in a section of Luke where there are a lot, lots of parables. Um, Luke is outlining all the different parables that Jesus gave, and so we're going to continue with that today. So Luke 18, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Follow along here with me. Starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, well, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, that means his people, the people that he's forgiven, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Luke introduces the whole point of this parable actually in the first verse. Now that's kind of interesting actually. It's almost like a little sermon in and of itself. Luke 18 verse 1, what did we read? He told them a parable. Why? to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. So what does that tell us? Well, actually, it warns us about something. See, this first verse warns us that we actually are in danger of losing heart, of becoming discouraged because we aren't seeing answers to our prayer. Why else would it say that we should continue in prayer and not lose heart unless that was something we were actually in danger of doing? 
So in order to teach us to avoid losing heart, Jesus presents this story about a widow who is very determined to be heard. And during Jesus' time in the first century, so now we're in the 21st century, right? So this is 2,000 years ago. In the first century, widows were some of the most helpless people in society as their husbands, who provided everything for them and protected them, had died. And it is likely that this widow is especially helpless and had no other family to take care of her. In fact, God is so serious about widows that several times in the Bible, he commands people to give special care to them. So this widow perseveres so much because she knows how much she needs help. She knows that she's helpless and that nobody else is going to protect her. And so she perseveres. She sees that she needs to persevere or else she's not going to get the help she needs. So for point number one, I want you to write this down. Similarly, you need to see your need to persevere in prayer. It's up on the screen there if you, if you missed that. See your need to persevere in prayer. That's really the whole point of this parable. That's why Jesus told this parable in the first place, so that we will see our need to persevere or to persist or to keep going in prayer. Now, do you want to know how persistent this widow really is? Well, look at verse 5. See, what the, the unrighteous judge says this, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. What's really interesting about that is that the Greek word that's translated beat down actually means to give someone a black eye. That's literally what that means, beat down. So she had been so persistent and she kept coming back every single day, so much so that the judge compares it to getting socked in the face. That's how irritated he is right now with how persistent this widow is being. Now the widow, keep in mind that she has two very important things working against her. One, let's think about this judge for a second. Right? He's supposed to be a legal peacekeeper, right? He's supposed to protect the people and he's supposed to make sure that everybody is treated fairly according to the law of God. But what do we find in uh, verse 4? He admits himself, I neither fear God nor respect man. Now, do you guys remember what the greatest commandments are? The first greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, right? And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So basically, what this parable is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that this judge is pretty much the worst of the worst, because he neither follows the first commandment, and because he doesn't follow the first commandment, he doesn't follow the second greatest commandment. He doesn't fear God, and he doesn't respect man. Nobody can change his mind. Nobody can sway his opinion. Now, the second thing that's working against this widow is this. We might think that she's coming to this judge and talking to him in a private kind of one-on-one -on -one setting, but it's actually more likely that the only interactions she has with him are in large crowds of mostly men. That is often the way that courts were held in the ancient Middle East, which is where this fictional story would have taken place. So that means the only way that she has been getting to him is by being the loudest and most noticeable person in the entire crowd. That's the only way that she has been able to have this judge hear her case. So you see, 
Someone has been taking advantage of this widow. She's helpless, and so she's vulnerable. Someone's been taking advantage of her. Either they've been stealing from her, maybe they've been paying her too little, um, maybe they've been threatening her or something like that. And so she sees her dire need to persevere in coming to the judge day after day after day, and he keeps doing what? Refusing her. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not. Get away from me. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. I don't want to hear it. But she keeps going because this is all she can do. It's her only hope. He's the one that has the power to give her justice. And so she keeps coming back to him, even though he keeps refusing. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, you should recognize that you are in need, just like the widow is. That's why you need to persevere in prayer. But how am I in need, you might ask? Well, think of it like this. Have you ever had a teacher let the class retake a quiz at school? Well, I had a teacher that actually let us retake our weekly quizzes as many times as we wanted to in order to get an A on the quiz. Now, that seems like a pretty sweet deal, right? Well, actually, that's only a sweet deal if you actually need the grade boost. See, all of my classmates who already had perfect grades in the class, well, they're not going to see their need to retake the quiz because they already have a perfect grade. But for everyone who had like a C or a D or an F, man, they really needed to retake those quizzes or else they're going to fail the class or not pass at least. And so they kept persevering and persevering and retaking the quiz over and over and over again until they finally got what they really needed, which was that grade boost. So you see, unless you are able to see your desperate need to persevere in prayer, this sermon really is going to go right over your head and you'll leave here really remembering nothing. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Starting in verse 4, he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That word abide, it means to continue in something. It means to stay put where you are, right? In verse 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in verse 7 he says, If you abide in me, if you continue in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Think about a grapevine, right? A vine and a branch. When you look at the connection between a vine and a branch, there's a little knot right there, right between where the vine connects to the branch. And through that little knot comes life-giving sap. So the vine provides the nutrients that the, that the branch needs to produce the grapes. That's the illustration that Jesus is trying to draw. Now, you can imagine what would happen if you cut off a branch from the vine. What's going to happen? It's going to die, right? It's going to dry up. There's not going to be any life left in it. So that is what Jesus is talking about here. And one of the most important ways that we abide in Christ, that we continue with Christ, is by committing to draw near to him in prayer every single day. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Okay, well, how do I do that? How do I practically draw near to him in prayer? Set 10, 15, 20 minutes aside every day, and you say, no, I'm, I'm closing my door, 
I'm not letting anyone interrupt me for this time period. Put on a timer on your phone or maybe you have a stopwatch or something and say, I'm going to draw near to Christ right now and not have anyone interrupt me. That's a very good practical way to do it. And there's other ways to do it as well. So Jesus doesn't say that you can do some things apart from him. He actually says you can do nothing apart from him. Everything that we have, right, the Bible says that Christ is God, that he's our creator, that he holds all things together by the word of his power. So that means your breath and your heartbeat and everything that comes after that comes from him. That's why you need him. That's why you desperately need to persevere in prayer. Because if you don't abide in him, then your life is going to be spiritually dry and fruitless. There are two primary ways that you abide in Christ. One of them we already talked about, that's prayer, right? But the other one, Jesus talks about in verse 7 of John 15, like we just read. He says, if my words abide in you. So Jesus is talking about his word. Now, what is his word? Well, that's what we're reading right now. It's the Bible. And that's why we read the Bible. We read the Bible to know about Christ, to draw near to Christ. It's not just a religious duty that we do. We do it because we know that it gives us life. That's why Christians read the Bible, and that's why they pray. You see, we read the Bible to know about who Christ is, and we pray to draw near to him. Now, how can you really pray to God if you don't really know who he is? Will your prayers be effective? Not really, no. These two things have to be connected as you abide in Christ. It's, it's, a, it's what's called a, a living union. Just like the branch has a living union with the vine, so Christians have a living union with Christ. And the way that we feed that is by prayer, and Bible reading. Now, as we're looking at this unrighteous judge, you might ask, what could this unrighteous judge possibly have anything to do with God? I mean, he's the worst of the worst, right? He doesn't fear God, and he doesn't respect man, so we wouldn't want to compare him to God. Well, is that what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus trying to say that this unrighteous judge is like God in this parable? That is, is he trying to say that if you just annoy God enough, he'll finally answer your prayer? Of course not. That is not what he's saying. Now, how do we know? Well, look at verse 6 and 7 again. In Luke chapter 18, verse 6 and 7. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, his people, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So we see that Jesus is actually making what's called an argument by comparison here. He uses the dark, ugly background of this unrighteous and unloving judge to help us see just how righteous, loving, kind, and fatherly God really is. It's called an argument by comparison. And so he says, he he, uh, poses a rhetorical question. Right, which means a question that you're not really supposed to answer. You're just supposed to think about it. He says, will, not, will he delay long over them? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? See, his people are crying to him day and night. That's called perseverance in prayer. So for point two, write this down. Have faith in your righteous father. Have faith in your righteous father. See, Jesus is making the point that God is completely different from the unrighteous judge who is stubborn and unwilling to hear the pleas of the people that he's supposed to protect. He's trying to make the point that 
God is so much more loving and kind and fatherly to his people than we can imagine. And he uses this parable to show us that. So if God really is like that unrighteous judge, who will only answer your prayers if you annoy him enough, well, then why would you ever pray? If God was really like that, you would have no reason to pray, right? You would just be discouraged, and you would be sad, and you would have no real reason to persevere and pray. But as we've talked about, God is so much greater than that judge. He gives us a reason to pray with unchanging hope. Now, why do I say that? What is, it, what is this unchanging hope? Well, Jesus actually makes another comparison that will be really interesting for us to look at. In Matthew 7, I'm going to read this for you, so pay attention here. He makes another comparison. He says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So he's saying, ask God anything, it will be given to you. Seek God, you will find him. Knock, he will come to you. And in verse 9, he makes the comparison. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Can you imagine if you asked mom, hey, what's for dinner tonight? Um, rocks. Oh, hey, dad, uh, what, what are you making for breakfast tomorrow? I don't know, I was thinking maybe serpents. Serpents for breakfast, maybe a little bit of milk in there. That would be pretty gross, right? Well, Jesus says here, if a human parent who is sinful can give you those kinds of good gifts, right? In verse 11, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, the Bible portrays God as a loving father, not, not a stubborn and unrighteous judge. In fact, you actually have a lot of things working for you in this situation. We talked about how there was a lot of things working against the widow, right? Well, in this situation, when we deal with prayer to our righteous father, you have a lot of things working for you if you are truly a Christian. And here are some of those things, right? So unlike the widow who was pleading with someone who didn't know or love her, when we pray, we are pleading with a God who not only created us, but shows his love for us, his ultimate love for us, and that he died for us while we were still sinning. See, we don't even deserve that God would hear our prayers because of how sinful we are. And the Bible says that we are, in fact, we are separated from God by our sins. But because of the amazing work that Jesus did on the cross for you, if you are a Christian, you can be assured that the separation between you and God has been completely closed and you've been brought into a relationship with him. And so you can really pray and you can be assured that he hears your prayers because Christ has brought you back to him. Also, the unrighteous judge did not want to hear the plea of the widow. But God actually wants to hear your prayers. Think about that for a minute, guys. God actually wants to talk to you. In fact, he commands you to pray in the Bible, unlike the judge who didn't want to hear any of it. God is very pleased when we are determined to pray to him without giving up. He wants to hear from you because he is your father. Can you imagine if you never spoke to your parents? What if you woke up in the morning, you were walking downstairs, like, oh, good morning, and you're just like, mm, okay. You went and ate your breakfast, kind of just sitting there in your own world, they're trying to talk to you, and you're just sort of looking around, not really paying attention to them. 
Well, they would be very distressed, right? They would be very heartbroken. They'd be, even be angry, right? What are you doing? I want you to talk to me. I want to hear from you. I want to know how you're doing. I want to, I want to see what's going on at school today, all these things, right? So if your parents are able to do that, even though they're, they're imperfect people, that they're sinners, how much more does God want to hear from you if you're truly his child? Also, one more thing. The widow came by herself to this unrighteous judge, right? She didn't have anybody. Her husband has died. She doesn't really have any other family members, as we can tell from the parable. Her friends aren't there to support her, as far as we know. But when you go to God in prayer as a Christian, the Bible says you have an advocate who pleads on your behalf before the throne of God. And that advocate is Jesus Christ. He is the one that pleads for you before God. You don't go alone. The book of Hebrews says that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. But we can be completely confident that when we draw near to God, we have an advocate because Jesus has shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the very reason why we can pray. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you see, as a Christian, you have a lot working for you. God has given you so many blessings and so many encouragements to pray. And in fact, he's actually commanded you to persevere and pray. Like verse 1 says, you ought always to pray and not lose heart. And that's the motivation, right? God actually wants to hear your prayers. God loves and knows you, and you don't go alone. Christ is your advocate when you go to pray to God. Now, I want to recognize as well that if you're not a Christian in this room, that's not going to mean anything to you. And you need to get right with God by turning from your sins and trusting in Christ that what he did on the cross was enough to forgive you of your sins. You need to stop turning to other things and loving other things and always turning to other things for peace and comfort and hope. Turn away from your sin and trust in Christ. Because like we studied earlier, you are truly nothing without Christ. You are nothing without Christ. Remember, your breath, right, your heartbeat, and everything that comes after that is from him and for him. Without him, you're just like a branch that has been cut off a tree and has no life in it. And John 15 says, Jesus says, the only thing that we should do with someone like that is to throw them into the fire to be burned because they are cut off from Christ and you have no life in you. But Jesus offers that freely. All those blessings that we just talked about in prayer, they can be yours in Christ. So we talked about George Mueller in our intro, right? The only way to pray with unchanging hope like he did is to actually trust that God will do what he says he will do. We need to trust that God is actually a faithful promise keeper for all of his children. And the Bible actually talks about this. In James 1, you guys probably remember when we went through that series if you're in eighth grade. Uh, In James 1, verse 6, he says this, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. What you should do after hearing that verse is, the next time you pray, 
pray with expectation. The next time you, you pray, you should actually expect to hear God's answer. When your parents promise to do something for you, and you show them that you don't really believe that they're going to do it, right? When they say, oh, I'll take care of you, I'll provide for you, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that you're clothed and fed and that you go to school. What if you just didn't believe them? They said, well, okay, maybe. I don't, I don't really know if I believe that, though, Mom. I mean, they would be heartbroken, right? Why would you doubt them? Why would you doubt their goodness if uh, they truly love you and want to provide for you? How much more with God should we pray, expecting that he will give us what he has promised, that he will do for us what he has promised? Something you can even do is write down your prayers and keep them in a box somewhere. And after some time, after you've prayed for a while, go and look at them again and see how God has answered them. And you can praise him for that. Now all this talk about God answering prayer brings up another question. What about when God seems to take a really, really, really long time to answer my prayers? Or what about when it seems like he hasn't answered them at all? Well, it's easy to feel that way. So how do we deal with those feelings? Well, let's look at verse 8 again. Jesus says this, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He will answer their prayers speedily or quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus says, unlike the unrighteous judge, God will answer your prayers quickly. But what about when they don't seem, those answers don't seem to come so quickly? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But really what we should, what we should do when we have those feelings is keep praying. Because Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Are you going to be found trusting God? Are you going to be found continuing to pray when Jesus comes back? Or are you going to be like James 1, the James 1 person who doubts? It's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So for point three, write this down. This is our last point here. Hold fast when you doubt. Hold fast when you doubt. It's the picture of being on a boat in a storm and you're clinging to the, the pole in the middle of the boat, the mast. You're clinging to it with all your strength. That's what it really means to hold fast. So Jesus says he will give justice to them speedily. Well, this might be a surprise to you, but God sees things differently than you do. God defines what speedily means different than you do. Isaiah 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That was verse uh, 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55. What that tells us is that God sees things from a different perspective than we do, right? God sees things from an eternal perspective. God has a perfect plan for all of history, and that includes your life. A perfect plan for all of history, even up to the end of history, when, like verse 8 says, the Son of Man returns. So, when that happens, when Jesus returns... What you should really be confident about is that every prayer you've ever prayed will have its fulfillment in one way or the other. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to see every prayer answered in the way that you expect during your lifetime. But if you are a Christian, when Christ returns and makes all things new, you will no longer cry out for your needs to be met because everything will be restored to perfection. 
just like God intended. Now, that kind of hope is only available to you if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you should not be excited for the Son of Man to come back because he's coming back with judgment as well. He's coming back to claim his people for himself, but he's also coming back to judge the world in righteousness. And you want to be found in him on that day. You want to be found trusting him on that day. Something we should really consider is this. How did Christ react when horrible, unjust things were happening to him? When we cry out for God to answer our prayers to, oh Lord, please help me with this, or Lord, take away that, or when we're experiencing things that are unfair or unjust, right? We, we have that experience in our lives. I'm sure you guys have had things happen in your life that seem unfair, seem unjust, things that are painful. Maybe a family member is going through something, or maybe you're going something, through something yourself, and you're just praying that God would deliver you from it. Well, how did Christ react when his entire life began to spiral downwards into a long, painful, torturous death, rejection by all of his friends, even though he was perfectly innocent? Well, 1 Peter 2 actually tells us how he reacted. 1 Peter 2, 23-24 says this, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, when Christ experienced affliction and when he was rejected by everybody, when he was treated unjustly, what does it say he did? Did he complain? No. Did he threaten? No. Did he revile them back? No. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued trusting God. He persevered in trust to God because he is our perfect example. And that's the key right there to uh, praying with unchanging hope. The key is looking to Jesus because he is our example and our motivation to continue trusting God and to continue in prayer. So what that should tell us is that we should trust God every time we see delay in him answering our prayers. Every time we've been praying, we've been persevering, we're feeling like we're losing heart, we need to keep going because God has a purpose for every delay. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, Father, please, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, what he meant by that was the cup was the wrath of God that he was going to drink on our behalf, right? All of our sins deserve the wrath of God, but Christ took them himself through that cup. So he's saying, Lord, if it's your will, please let this cup pass from me. And what was God's answer? No. No. God said no, and Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus went to the cross and drank that cup on behalf of anybody who will turn from their sins and trust in him. And for those who trust in him, I have a really beautiful promise for you to remember. From Romans 8, 28, the verse that we all know. And we know that for those who love God, that's Christians, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is that good that it's talking about? Well, verse 29 tells us, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
It's a lot of big words. Foreknew, predestined, conformed. What that means is that God's greatest good for every Christian is that they become more like the Jesus that we just talked about from 1 Peter 2, from the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the greatest good. So you need to trust that God has a purpose for every single delay in, uh, your answer, in, in answering your prayers. That's what God is always working for in the Christian person. So in conclusion, you are in great need of God. And you must see your need to persevere in praying to him, for apart from him, you can do nothing, like we talked about in John 15. Prayer is how you connect with God. And prayer will only be effective if you're reading your Bible consistently to know the God that you're praying to. Prayer is only effective if you have unchanging faith and hope in God, who is your righteous father, right? Like we talked about in James 1. He wants you to pray to him. And he sent his son to be your advocate and to die for you so that you can have a relationship with him. And finally, you need to be patient and keep praying even when things aren't going the way you'd expect because you, you got to know that God will never forget you. And he's always working to draw you to Christ and make you more like him. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much that you haven't left us in the darkness but that you've actually revealed yourself to us through your word. We thank you that the ultimate revelation of who you are really came through Christ, who is the word of God. Um, thank you that we can see who you are by looking at Jesus. Thank you that we can learn more about who you are by looking at this parable in Luke 18. Lord, we just thank you that we can even gather here together and uh, listen to your word and learn from it. I pray right now that you would cause all of us to really think deeply about this sermon to think about what it means to persevere in prayer, to think about what it means to be restored to you through Christ so that we can have uh, prayer with you, we can have a relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that we would not lose heart, but that we would see the value of prayer, Lord. Convince us of the value of prayer, that you are a righteous Father who wants to hear us pray and who promises to answer our prayers if we'll just believe and have faith in you. So we commit all these things into your hands. In Christ's name, amen.